I bet if I were to, to take a poll as to what the most popular psalm is, I bet Psalm 23 that we heard in, in our, as our psalm today would be right there on top of that list. Um, that's the psalm everybody knows, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? We see it in prayer cards everywhere. We, see, we hear it frequently at weddings or at funerals. It's, it's frequently the psalm chosen. Um, we see images of Jesus as the good shepherd all over the place, whether he's holding the sheep or, or among the sheep or carrying the sheep on his back. And that was actually like one of the first images in the ancient Roman catacombs. They had pictures on the walls of the caves of Jesus as the good shepherd. So there's, there's a, a deep meaning behind that psalm, and it's good that that psalm is so, is so uh, in the minds of, of people that we, just, we know it, it's within us. The danger of that is that we could hear it without really hearing it. Like so many things we do on repetition, so many things in the Mass, for example, we, we hear it and say it without really like the full intention of what we're saying and doing. So there's, there's a lot of depth in this very short psalm of Psalm 23. And actually, all three of these readings highlight, in a, in a sense, the same element of truth in that God has a reward for us. God has a, a place prepared for us. The first reading of Isaiah talks about this mountain of God where everything is in abundance. Everything is going to, all of our desires are going to be satisfied. Food and wine and no more death, no more darkness, no more sin, living in joy in, 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 in with God on the mountain of God. Psalm 23 talks about these verdant pastures where we find rest, where our souls will find rest and we're in peace and repose. The gospel talks about this wedding feast where the, the king has prepared everything and the feast is ready and everybody is invited to come and partake in this great wedding feast. Something that Psalm 23, right after that, talks about, though, is the dark valley. That I'm, the, the, there's these verdant pastures are there, but even though right now I walk in this dark valley, the valley of the shadow of death, the valley, the, the, the words say the valley of deep darkness. A lot of times, today especially, it's easier, I think, for me to identify with the valley of darkness as opposed to the verdant pastures. We look around us, and it's very easy to see the valley of darkness everywhere we look. My own personal life and sins and struggles and the things that are going on hit us powerfully. There's a lot of, there's a lot of struggles in this life. We look around, and every time I seem to look, there's another reason for people to be fighting. There's another reason for people to be arguing and disagreeing with each other. There's another disaster that's coming to strike us. Even within the church, there's another example of, of, of horrible, demonic things happening within the church that it's very easy to say, like, is this even worth, like, is there even a point to this? Is there, like, can we get to this, this, this verdant pasture? Is it real? This valley seems so deep and so dark, and I don't know how I can get out of it. Especially like here in Louisiana, it seems like we're, we're being continually struck with darkness everywhere we look. And, and it's easy to like, gosh, to give up hope. To say, there's no, how, how, can, I, how can this be real? How, how can anyone even attain to this? I see no one around me who can, do, no examples but I see plenty of examples of the darkness that seems to be winning. What do I do as I find myself in this dark place? Three steps. I think that the scriptures, particularly Psalm 23, reveal to us 
as to what we can do as we look all around and see these things. Step one is just acknowledge where I'm at. I don't have to pretend like the darkness isn't there. I can't pretend that evil doesn't exist around me. I can't just talk it away or ignore it or rationalize it. It's okay for me to acknowledge that I am in a dark valley. I am in the valley of the shadow of death. Acknowledge where I am and acknowledge how that impacts me. Whether that's anger, whether that's confusion, whether that's fear, frustration, discouragement. What is it doing to me to be in this place? Because if I don't acknowledge where I'm at, I'm never going to be able to take a step forward. Going forward always, always, always begins with acknowledging where I'm at. And acknowledging that just because I'm in this place doesn't mean I have to be hopeless. It doesn't mean, like, God and evil coexist. I can't, I can't just focus on God because then I'm going to be disconnected from all the things that are happening. And if I don't believe that they can really exist, then the evil at some point is going to get so great that I just abandon, like, how can God exist in this? God is present in the valley of the shadow of death. God is present in the darkness. And our first step is to acknowledge, like, What's going on in me? What do I feel like as, I, as I'm here? We all experience that. We all experience struggle, whether it's personally with our own sin and struggles and darkness, or when I look out in, in my wider family or community or nation and just see example after example of things that discourage me. God is here. Acknowledge the reality of where I am right now. The second thing, the second step, is that we can't ever forget where we're going or who's leading us. Because the mountain of God that we hear about is not just this hopeless ideal. The verdant pastures really, it, it's real, it really does exist. God really is the one who is my shepherd, who is leading me, who is feeding me every single day. Ultimately, right here at the Mass. These things are true. We can't ever forget where we're going. We can't forget the mountain of God that we're, that we're journeying to. And I think what the psalm highlights is that we get to the verdant pastures, we get to the, dark, uh, we get to the, to the mountain of God through the dark valley. It's always through the dark valley that the mountain comes. Just like Jesus showed us, it's through the cross that we experience the resurrection. It's through Good Friday that we experience Easter Sunday. It's through allowing God to speak to our own sins and our own struggles that we experience the joy of His mercy. God Himself is leading us through that. So even though I'm there and it's real, I don't have to fear it. And I don't have to fear it not because of anything that I do or because of anything that we as a human society can do, I don't fear it because I know who's leading me and I know that he is always going to be faithful. And I know that he is always going to be with me step by step leading me to the verdant pastures. Leading me to the mountain of God. And I, as, as we've heard pretty much every week for the last four weeks, all of us are invited to that. All of us are called to that. The king invited today everybody to this banquet, to this feast. None of us is exempted from that, no matter what. We're all called to, to walk with God through the dark valley so that we can experience the banquet that he has prepared for us. That's the invitation for every single one of us. 
But that brings me to step three, is that the gospel has this guy who doesn't seem to have made the cut. He wasn't in the right garment, and he was kicked out of the wedding feast. What's up? What's, what's going on there? Because it is true, just like it, was, just like it is now as it was back then, you don't go to a wedding feast in shorts and a t-shirt. You don't go to a wedding in like your dirty work clothes. You, you change. You put on nicer clothes to honor the solemnity, the special nature of, of what we're going to. No one would just kind of roll into a wedding without getting ready a little bit first. The same thing back then. You wouldn't just show up in your, in your in, they didn't have running water back then, so you wouldn't show up in your dirty clothes. You would put on special garments, which is true. But what's also true is that if you, were the, if you were hosting a wedding, the host would often have garments for the people who, could, who, did, who didn't have time to go in to make themselves ready. Travel was a lot more complicated back then, so they would have these garments that they would put on over their clothes so that they could, they could come to the wedding without having to go and then come back. So really, when the king asked this man, like, Where, where's your wedding garment? All the man had to do was ask. All the man had to do was acknowledge where he was, acknowledge who was with him, and, and, and ask for what he needed. And the king would have provided it to him. But instead of asking for what he needed, that man was silent. He didn't ask. And the king can't do what, God can't do what we don't ask for. If we know where we are and who's leading us, we have to now ask for what we need. God is longing to give us everything that we need. All we have to do is ask. But if we don't ask, he can't, he can't do anything. That's step three. That as we acknowledge where we are, we acknowledge what's going on inside of us, and as you remember where we're going and who's with us, we're going to be aware of our need. And we have to ask God every single day to give us what we need whether that's personally, within my own life, my own struggles with sin. God, give me the grace to overcome these things. Give me the grace to grow in these areas. Ask God for mercy. God, give me your mercy so that I can experience the joy of your forgiveness in the sacrament of confession. Give me yourself in the body and blood of the Eucharist so that I can experience true communion with you. That's also true as a society. Asking God every single day for what we need praying and fasting that God may, may pour out grace. He's not held bound. He can work. He does work. That's why our focus in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the, the, our, our role in the political sphere because God is supposed to be involved in that. We're, we're, we, what, what, where are we headed towards? What do we need? A community, a society that respects the dignity of every single person like we've talked about. No matter who you are, where you're from, born or unborn, Every single person has a dignity that cannot be offended, that has to be respected. Society ought to be a place where every single one of us truly has what we need to flourish as people and as a family, both in, in the spiritual and in the material, and doing what we can to make that a reality. Working for the common good is what that's called. Everyone has what they need to flourish. And praying and fasting, asking God both in the, in the spiritual and by our political responsibilities to do what we can to allow that to happen. Asking God to permeate that. And never losing hope of where we're going. Acknowledge where we are 
remember who's with us and where we're going, and then ask for everything that we need. Because God has given each one of us his invitation that we might really just let him lead us. He wants to lead us. He wants to give us everything that we need, but all we have to do is ask. If we ask, trusting in him, it may not be immediate, but he does satisfy every single desire, and that's his desire for each one of us today.